Hey guys, what's up? It's Beth. So today I'm going to be talking about how I knew or rather didn't know that my cat had an addiction. I need to just say up front, I am not an expert in addiction. I'm not claiming to be. I'm not going to give advice like I'm an expert. I can only speak to my experience with addiction and how it affected my life. So again, I am not a professional (laughs) in addiction. So we're going to cover like 2009 to 2016-ish in this segment. So the first red flag for me should have been when Mike moved from Michigan to Florida to be with me when we had been talking for about a month. He moved across the country on a whim And at the time, I thought it was so romantic. Like, maybe Nicholas Sparks would write a book about our love story. But now that I look back on it, that was not romantic. That was dumb as hell. He was 23 years old, dropped all his responsibilities, his job, his apartment, everything, and moved to Florida for for what? A booty call? Not super responsible. And that should have been a red flag, but... Obviously, it wasn't. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you all right now on this podcast. So the next red flag would be when he deployed. So before he deployed, I got pregnant, found out I was pregnant, rather. And so we got married a day before he deployed. I'm aware that that is super classy. That's just how I roll. So we got married. He left for deployment. Well, I went into labor early and had Preston before Mike could make it home, which was devastating to me. Mike got home for R&R, which is every deployment has R&R and it's 15 days. So he came home for 15 days. And while he was home, it was great. Um, but I had had, I was recovering from a crash C-section after having been in labor for 42 hours. I was recovering from a C-section as well. So before Mike went back to Afghanistan, he asked me for my pain pills. Mind you, these pain pills were prescribed to me because I had a crash C-section where they had to resuscitate my newborn child because he wasn't breathing. My child almost died. (laughs) And he asked me for pain pills. I didn't think anything of it. Obviously, that should have been a giant, like, light-flashing billboard red flag. (laughs) but it wasn't. It wasn't. So he, I gave him my pain pills, not thinking anything of it. He told me he had hurt his knee while he was running in Afghanistan. So I I didn't think anything of it. He took my pain pills. Then we fast forward a little bit to 2010. Mike gets home from deployment. Preston is now four months old and we're living in Florida. Uh, Mike comes home and he struggles as any soldier does after coming back from war. I do need to say that his addiction did not come from war. It didn't come from PTSD. I'm sure that war and PTSD did not help his addiction, but he had an addiction long before he deployed, and I did not know about it until later. So so his addiction had nothing to do with the military. But he came home from war, and it was a rough transition, as I'm sure any... Anybody familiar with the military knows. 
he couldn't find a job in Florida, so he went up to Michigan, because that's where we're both from, to try and find a job. He was up here for like six weeks. It was extensive, and we were fighting constantly because it was unnecessary, and it was unnecessary for him to be up in Michigan that long. So he finally gets a job. We moved back to Michigan. We have to move in with my parents, which sucked. Moving a full family into another full family home sucks, but it was fine. We eventually moved into our own apartment. And this is where a lot of the red flags came into play and I ignored them. It started when Mike got home from de- deployment. He lied to me constantly. And it was so, these lies were so intense that we could be standing outside and it would be a beautiful sunny day, no clouds in the sky. And he would tell me that the sky was purple. And I would say, Mike, we're outside. I can see the clear blue sky. And he would fight me and he would never back down. Even looking at the sky, seeing it's blue, he would never back down. He would keep saying it was purple. And there was no convincing him otherwise. But this lying started and it was lying about everything. Everything you could imagine he would lie to me about. Which I think kind of goes hand in hand with addiction. I think that you can't have a successful addiction if you're telling the truth. You have to lie at some point to protect your addiction. And I'm not sure if Mike knew what he was saying were lies. I think to him, they felt like the truth. That's why he could defend it to the bitter end because to him, that was true. And that was how he coped with having this addiction and all of these lies. He just believed them. So we moved into an apartment. All the lying started. And then I started finding pill bottles everywhere. And these pill bottles would have other people's names on them or no label at all. And I would find them in random ass places. Like he would unscrew the vent covers and hide them in the vents. And I would find them. He would unzip the couch cushions and put pill bottles in the stuffing of the couch and I would find it or in mugs at the top of your cabinet in your kitchen that you don't ever touch I'd find them in there so this again should have been a big red flag and it wasn't so it just gets worse (laughs) we um Mike worked in a factory and what I'm about to say Please do not take it offensively. This is, again, my perspective and my experience with addiction. So there is there is no ill will in what I am saying. It's just something I observed in my experience. Mike worked in a factory. And one thing I noticed off the bat is that they trade pills like currency, pills are all over the place in factories and so Mike had an endless supply of them endless supply but with that endless supply came no money left from his checks which in a factory you make good money but I remember distinctly getting calls from our landlord that our rent wasn't being paid and I could not understand why because I was working two jobs Mike was working one and we were making good money but we never had any because it was going to pills. So again, (laughs) should have been a red flag and wasn't. Um, so it got, it got intense anyway. And 
it got intense. We didn't have money. The lying, the hiding the pills. It felt like it was never ending to me. But I didn't see any of it. I didn't see any of it. And I think part of that is because I grew up, my entire childhood was like just one big trauma session. It was continuous. I was around addicts all the time, as I mentioned in my previous episode. Almost my entire family is addicts. So to me, addiction is normal. It, that is the normal that I grew up with. So even though I was seeing these red flags, they weren't sinking into me because that is normal in my life. But another big reason was that I did not want to lose my family. I got married and even though it was in a courthouse because I was pregnant, that to me was forever. Regardless of how it happened or whether I was ready or not, I got married. I said the vows. That's it. It's over. Doesn't matter what happens. We work it out. So I didn't want to lose my family. I didn't. Um, I was 21 when we got married. I'm sorry. Nope. I was 20. I had Preston at 21. I was 20 when we got married. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about life at 20. So I... These red flags seem very obvious to other people, but they weren't to me because it was a normal. The big, big, every bring everything to a halt thing that happened was in 2016. 2016. Um, something major happened. And like I stated before, my son's safety is is my biggest priority. So there are things that I will not share. And this is one of those things. But just understand that this was a major event that caused me to leave work. I called Mike and I said, listen, what the hell is going on? He cussed me out, hung up on me and then wouldn't answer my phone calls anymore. So I felt I had no other option but to call the police because I tried to go to his house. He wasn't there. He wouldn't answer my phone calls, so I went to the police and I told them this, hey, this is what happened. I don't know what to do. Um, they they said, yeah, we'll go get your son right now. This is unacceptable. So they went to Mike's house to get Preston out of the home and he wasn't home. So the cops literally staked out in a plane vehicle down the street. And at the time, my mom's house, I could see Mike's apartment from my mom's house. So I literally sat in the window for like 10 hours just watching his house, waiting for him to come home. Because like I said, he didn't answer any of my phone calls. So I had no idea where my son was. Knowing that this big thing, big unsafe thing happened, I didn't know where he was. It was the worst 10 hours of my whole life. Mike finally gets home and the police rush in and pull Preston out. And they had me waiting. They called me before they got to Mike's house. Before they decided to rush it, they called me. So I was waiting outside and Preston came out and he was so excited. I was devastated. I was sobbing. It was very traumatic for me, but Preston was pumped. He was like, mom, did you see all those police guys? I got to meet the police chief. And he was having the best time of his life. He was so pumped. He felt so special. And in that moment, he felt special. But when he looks back at it as an adult and he remembers that, it will be traumatic for him. So that's going to come in later episodes. But But that will be traumatic for him. So the police chief brings Preston to me and he says, listen, I can't tell you anything about what happened in the house. But 
you need to get him hair follicly drug tested. It's not a choice. You need to do it. And then when you get the results, I need to have them. Again, don't ask me what we found in the house or what happened. I can't tell you anything. So, of course, I go and get him hair follicly drug tested in a part of town where I feel very unsafe. And people on parole go and get hair follicly drug tested. Preston came back with no drugs in his system, thank God. But I later got the police report. And in the police report, mind you, Preston was five years old at this time. He was five. In the police report, it says that they found uncapped syringes, empty pill bottles all over the apartment, and three loaded guns without the safety on within reach of Preston. All of these items were within reach of Preston. And in the police report, which I still have a copy of, it says that one of those guns was next to his toy box. My five-year-old son. I had no clue I was sending my son there. I had no clue I, what type of, of disarray he was going to. I had no clue. And when I think back on it now, I get a little bit emotional because... As I said before, I'm a medic. So I see when drug houses go bad. And I see what that does to kids and what it can do to kids. So to hear about the guns and the needles and it was too much. It was too much. Like I'm legitimately crying right now, which is so dumb. But um so sorry, I have to kind of collect myself. So, I had no clue I was sending my son over there to this unsafe home. I had no idea. So, what I want people to take away from this is I did not know that Mike was an addict. Even though all the signs were in front of me, I did not know he was an addict. And I can't even now, like I rack my brain to try and think about if I, if, if I could ever tell when he was high and I couldn't, which is so scary to me, but I didn't know he was high to this day. I didn't know he was high and that is terrifying. So in not knowing that he was high, my biggest piece of advice is to follow your gut. If you feel like something is off, investigate it especially if you have children, because that affects them. My other piece of advice is if you are separated from your spouse and you have to share custody, get your ass into that house. Regardless of what you have to do, get into that house. Fake that you have diarrhea and you have to run and blow up their toilet. It does not matter, but get your ass in that house. It should never be a problem for you to see where your children spend half their time. And if your ex-spouse or whatever your situation is, if they put up a fight about you seeing the living conditions your child is in, that is a problem. Fight to get into that house, period. Your child's safety should be the number one thing on both your in their other parents' mind at all times. Yeah, so those are my two big takeaways from this. Trust your gut. You're not always going to know that they're high. 
and get your ass into that house and see what your babies are living in. I hope that this episode helps somebody and that you can kind of learn what I had to learn the hard way and maybe it'll be a little easier for you. I so appreciate you listening to this podcast and just hearing what I have to say. I would love to hear from you guys what you want to hear, any questions that you have. Let me know. Reach out to me. I would love to interact with you all. I hope that you have a great week and I will talk to you next week.